Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Thank you, Dr. Aiken. Open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And as you do, let me say what an honor it is for me to, to preach at this incredible seminary who stands to or stands boldly for the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth and goodness how the world needs the gospel, how much the world needs you to go. And thank you uh, for the kind invitation. Uh, Marsh and I are so grateful for you and Miss Charlotte and your faithful example in, in marriage, in ministry, but also just in Christian missions and your passion and how you uh, just model that so well. And thank you to the faculty for the important role you play in um, equipping and preparing the next generation of Christian leaders for the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, this is surely to be a seminary message you will remember uh, as we're talking about sexual immorality. Uh, beginning with verse 12, Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. You are present in this room. And you know our own stories, our own past, you know our own weaknesses and sin. God, would you let us remember your grace today, remember the call to pursue holiness in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Our culture today is searching for answers to some of the most fundamental questions, answers to the most fundamental institution by which God's creation or creatures should order their lives, the family. God's created man and woman. He created men and women and he set them together in the garden. This institution is the keystone of human society. The family is God's cornerstone. It is central to human life, more central than the state of any other human institution. God's design for sex and marriage is central to human flourishing. And our culture does not have a a high view of marriage. It has an even lesser view of sex. Sex is very much a commodity in our time. Many find their identity in their sexuality. 
We live in a time where college students and, and young people are talking about things like, what's your body count? The number of sexual partners they've had. This is the generation that has grown up with social media, private messaging, and unlimited access to pornographic material in the palm of their hands. Sadly, many marriages end in divorce than ever before with the highest statistics coming from the church. With culture redefining what marriage is, the church must not shelter from this conversation, but the church, Christians, must boldly engage it and declare God's design and desire for holy marriage and godly sex. One of the greatest witnesses I believe we can have as ambassadors for Christ, as witnesses for Christ, the greatest way we can be strange to this culture is to model and champion a biblical sexual ethic. And in 1 Corinthians here, Paul is addressing the church at Corinth in a very direct way. Roman influence had, had a grip on the church they were fighting over various teachers who were all sort of championing their own brand of spirituality. And this had caused major divisions. Gentile sins of sexual morality and idolatry had become major issues. Even a case of, of incest was being allowed and defended in the church. So the culture of Corinth in general was highly sexualized, highly perverse. All kinds of perversions were were celebrated and were normalized at this time. Before Paul had come to town, they, they didn't have the gospel. There was no scripture. There was no Jesus. Everyone sort of did what they wanted. All kinds of sexual experiences were pursued, not unlike our own time today. There was confusion about sex and about gender. And sex is just sort of what you did with whoever you wanted. And any, even though many had be, become Christians, they still had a lot of thinking and a lot of sexual activity that was really incompatible with Christianity. Many were still pursuing sexual gratification and were justifying their own sin. So here in the second half of chapter 6, Paul is, he begins engaging with their excuses, the excuses they were making for why they were allowing themselves to participate in these things and he brings greater clarity on the nature and value of the body in relationship to our own sexual behavior. Here's the main idea I think he's telling us today. We, we have been purchased by God and are called to glorify him with our bodies. There's four things I want us to see here. He begins by dispelling, sort of uh, setting sex apart from, other, from these other things. The first thing is this, our, our bodies are made for the Lord. This is what he says to the Corinthians church in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. He begins to engage with some of these excuses they were making, these cultural sayings that they were using to defend what uh, their reasoning for allowing themselves to participate. And he says, man, all things might be lawful for you, but they, that doesn't mean they're all helpful for you. All things might be lawful for you. And then he says, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant, it's not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. The argument goes, I, I get hungry, so I eat. I get tired, so I sleep. I 
become desirous for sexual gratification. So therefore I look, therefore I go, therefore I gratify. So I have sex, it's natural. This is not unlike our own culture today that excuses our, their own sexual behavior. Many have heard things like, I gotta test drive the car before you buy it, so therefore. I've heard things, what's the problem? If, if we agree these things are okay and it doesn't affect anyone else, or God wants me to be happy, God wants me to have pleasure, and this just feels right. Many of these are justified by one of the loudest cultural slogans of our time, seen in movies, seen in televisions, it's seen in, on Facebook posts, everywhere you look. Just follow your heart. And we know these things stand in opposition to what the Lord Jesus Christ has called us to. And Paul comes along and says, whoa, 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 it might be lawful, but this is not helpful. It might be lawful, but you shouldn't be dominated or mastered by anything. And this is certainly one of those things that wants to have dominance over your life. It is certainly one of those things that will master you if you give it room. And the truth is, we are all prone to make excuses or to justify our own behavior, particularly the behavior we know we shouldn't do, but it makes us feel better when we can make a case for it. For instance, there's this thing many of you are guilty of, and I really don't mean to step on anyone's toes in this room today, but I think it might be a problem, and I'm not sure how big of a problem, but I'm sure it's something that all of us are doing. What is it? Sneaking candy into the movie theater. Yeah, uh-huh, I know, yeah, I hear the stickers. I know you're guilty. Is it wrong? I mean, isn't it justified? Have you ever seen the price of those candies? I mean, I can, I can just slide it in my pocket. I can carry it in without anyone knowing. Those, those young kids running the aisles, they ain't gonna see me. They don't know the difference. As long as I don't get caught, I mean, it's okay. No one will be Affected. Now, whether or not you believe sneaking candy into the movie theater is a sin, that's between you and the Lord, you understand the reasoning behind it. For the record, I don't care where you land on the issue, just to illustrate, you get the point. We must be careful not to justify our sinful behavior. But that's how it works. No one will know. It'll just be a little bit. I've got a handle on it. I deserve it. See, we are all prone to immorality. We must confront it honestly, but we must remind ourselves, as he says in verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's not meant for those things. It's meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and he will raise us up by his power. Notice that Paul roots his point in this eschatological reality that these bones are going somewhere. That this body is going somewhere. Your body is valuable. Your body is for the Lord, not for sexual immorality. Therefore, your sexual behavior matters. Each one of us are tempted daily to give in to the flesh, prone to give ourselves over to our sins. We're all prone to sin, and we're also all prone to excuse our sin, to look the other way. That's exactly what Satan wants to make an excuse. I don't have to tell anyone. I don't have to do this. I just need this. 
See, your body is made for the Lord. The truth is sin is a sin. All sin is a sin against God, and God cares because your body was made for him. Secondly, our bodies are united with Christ, he says. Are united with Christ. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Paul here sandwiches an issue in the church between two examples of one of the most central doctrines of the Christian faith, union with Christ. He gives the example first that our body has been made one body with Christ. We are members of Christ in verse 15. The second example is at the end of verse 17, one spirit. We've been made one spirit with Christ. We are one in Christ. His spirit now dwells in us. And between those things, we are belonging to Christ. His spirit is within us. So therefore, should you take your body and go give it to a prostitute? Now, prostitution was a major issue in the culture at the time. And apparently the Christians were participating in all of this. He's saying this makes absolute no sense. You belong here, highlighting this important of having union with Christ. When we believe upon Christ for salvation, we are united him in him in all things, making us now recipients of all the spiritual blessings that are found in him. All of our satisfaction, all of our gratification is to be found in knowing and walking with Christ and Christian obedience. We become wholly devoted to Christ and no longer devoted to self and sin. The chains of our own bondage to sin are broken and freedom has come. In Christ, we are empowered to live in the freedom he's bought for us. So our calling now is to, to manage our bodies in a way that honors Christ, knowing, knowing that we are members of his body and have his spirit within us. You see, sex is never just sex. It involves our identity. It involves our bodies, our whole self. This is why Paul points all the way back to Genesis 2. The two will become one flesh. Giving our bodies over to sexual, sexual immorality betrays our loyalty to Christ, who we have been united with. So therefore, our bodies are united with Christ. Number three, our bodies are to be devoted to God. It says in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. That's the imperative of the text. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Notice Paul's point here. We are sexually immoral. We sin against our own body. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. What does this mean? When we steal, we can give it back. When, when we tell a lie, I can confess the truth and apologize. And sex is just different. Sex isn't just sex. Yes, it's a sin, but not all sin has the same consequences. I've had a lot of marriage counseling sessions with many couples along the way, and I can tell you how awful it is to walk through Sexual brokenness with people you love. I have had to deal with marriages where someone was highly addicted to pornographic material. Someone was in online relationships with not just one person, but multiple people. 
Someone was sharing explicit images with another person. Someone had broken vows and committed adultery with multiple people. And been in places where people have lied to my face about their own sexual addictions only for it to later come out because of the shame that these things cause. What happens often while I've seen marriages restored, many times these things end in divorce and brokenness, leaving children divided between two homes, two sets of parents, and two new families, all because a body wanted a few minutes of fraudulent gratification. On the other side of this pleasure lies guilt, lies shame, and lies brokenness. This is why sexual morality is so unlike other sins. It doesn't only affect you, it affects your spouse, it affects your children, it brings reproach upon the gospel, and it can bring brokenness and division in the church. It affects so many more people. Sex is never just sex, it is worse. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has called us to sexual holiness. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has worked faith in you and in me to unite us with Christ. Your body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit, he says, within you. It's a sacred place where the Lord dwells, whom you have from God. God has made this possible. God has done the work. Your body is now sacred and belonging to him. We don't put confidence in this flesh, but in the Holy Spirit within us and the promise of a resurrection to come. We are called to holiness, which leads me to number four. Our bodies have been redeemed for God's glory. He says in verse 19, the second half of it, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. What a glorious statement from Paul, a glorious reminder, one that we must never forget. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. What is that price? The price of God's own son, Jesus, given so that we might be redeemed, forgiven of sin, freed from bondage, and given new life with the hope of a resurrection. God in his infinite love sent Jesus to live a perfect life, a life you and I could not live, to die an awful sacrificial death on the cross, paying the punishment for all of our sexual brokenness, all of our sexual immorality, all the wrong things and all the bad things. He's gone through death, paid the penalty for you and I to live in freedom. He's raised to life so that we can have redemption. This is what Paul reminds them of in verses 9 through 11, if you look there. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. We have been redeemed from sexual brokenness. What a glorious truth, Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All who possess Christ as Lord and live in his freedom are forgiven sexual sinners and praise be to God. See, the Corinthians were saved out of pre-Christian Corinth and today 
We're living in post-Christian America and we must be committed to holiness. You and I must take this calling to be the kind of people who uphold God's sexual ethic when it comes to marriage and gender and sexuality. We are the teachers for this generation. You are the teachers for this generation and your view of marriage and sex and family matters more than you'll ever know. What you do with your body matters. What you say with your words about these things matter. The jokes you make matter. The places you go, the websites you visit, the material you consume matters. And our calling, therefore, is twofold. To flee sexual immorality and to pursue sexual holiness. To flee sexual immorality with Holy Spirit-empowered resolve and to pursue sexual holiness with God-glorifying gratefulness, gratefulness for God's redeeming work, making all things new kind of work. And I know in a room this size, there are many stories of sexual immorality, sexual brokenness, sexual addiction, and perhaps even sexual abuse. I imagine some of you might be struggling in the dark today and I want to implore you at the end of this sermon to bring it to the light. You may be carrying shame in your past. Find someone you know that loves you, a trusted friend, a mentor, a pastor, a professor, and confess it. The Lord is faithful to restore, as Paul says. And such were some of you. You were washed but you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. And we remind ourselves of Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. If you are presently addicted, trapped, Acts 3 reminds us to repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. God is in the business of turning brokenness into beauty, and the world needs to know the beauty of marriage and sex from the lives of those who've been redeemed by Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for the holy word of God. I thank you that you've given us a playbook by which we're to live life and order our lives. God, you know the state of marriage and sexuality in our culture, and I pray that you would raise up a generation of those who stand boldly for this institution, guarding their marriages, guarding their lives, guarding their families for your glory. Would you give us wisdom in walking amongst the sexual brokenness and helping build and rebuild families, Lord, for your glory? And I pray for those who are sitting here today, I pray that they would know that they've been redeemed from their stories? Would you give them the willingness to step out, to talk to someone, to confess sin? Would you give them the boldness to find accountability and to seek a deep friendship where they can truly be known rather than hiding in the dark? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.
ＥＤＵ。